And as you can see, our sermon is entitled, Our High Priest is Steve Andrews. Sometimes words catch you very quickly. (laughs) I would have uh, probably thought to change that a little bit anyway. I want you to put your thinking caps on and imagine, no matter how old you are, (laughs) that you're a young child, maybe um, Hannah's age or a little older, living in Goshen, during that time, just before they move out of Egypt. And imagine all the things that God begins to do for Israel as he works those miracles, all of those plagues. And you're a child, but you're involved. You see those things happening. And the reason why I want you to be a child is because the older folks don't make it all the way. What is very interesting is all of the different things that happen to the children of Israel in that environment, and it culminates with that Passover, that particular time. And you can imagine being a child, and all of a sudden, they're out there painting blood on the doorposts. They're preparing a meal. And they're beginning to explain these things to you as part of this family. And you are involved. You are involved in what is going on. And the next thing you know, you're having to pack up because you're ready. You're packed. You're ready to go. And now you're leaving. You're leaving this area that you have been a slave. You had, I imagine all the children had to work too. There was probably no excuse or no exclusion unless you were a, a nursing baby or too small to work. That all those children probably had to, to, to be involved in work. And you have moved out of that environment as a slave. You've <laughs> walked and walked and walked. And God brings this large congregation, this large assembly, into his special area. It is not for anything. It's not for nothing that God has brought these people whom he loves into this area to teach them, to help them to understand the truth, to help them to understand his way, to give these people his law, and to set up a beautiful environment for them. Remember, <laughs> he wants to be with them. If you've ever look at, looked at that picture, that's so profound. God wants to dwell with his children, and he surrounded himself with his children. And you can go to Exodus, the 25th, 26th, and 27th chapter, and see this resplendent tabernacle that was built. Gold, fine tapestries. Some of the most beautiful things were incorporated into this tabernacle. God had specific instructions as to how it was to be built, how it was to be laid out, how it was to be carried, how it was to be set up. Everything was so very, very specific because there was a heavenly detail in heaven. In Exodus 25th chapter, verse 40, it says, make it exactly, let's see if I, and look that you make them 
after their pattern, which was showed you in the mount. God gave his spirit. <laughs> he gave craftsmen his spirit. Well, actually, he, gave, he took it from Moses and gave it to them, but it was still his spirit, so that they could craft this stuff perfectly. He didn't want any mistakes. He didn't want any sloppy um, uh, craftsmanship. He wanted it perfect. Remember, they were going to craft uh, the, the, the mercy seat. They were going to lay it with gold. They were going to create the angelic beings that sat over that mercy seat. Can you imagine, as a craftsman, having that responsibility to craft that? In, and it had to be so perfect. That pattern. Well, also, God set up a priesthood. And there was a high priest involved in that. And then you can read that in Exodus, the 28th chapter. And in Exodus, the 29th chapter, we come to this very uh, part here, Exodus 29 and 43 through 46. For this reason, for this reason, God had a purpose. He had a plan. And that plan is not totally fulfilled yet. Still being worked out. Verse 43, And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. And I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. If it had worked out like God wanted at that particular time, all nations would have come to Israel to learn of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They would all have come to have been blessed. All the world would have come to have been blessed, but uh, men are men, and men have sins. And we know that first generation that came out of, of Egypt fell in the wilderness. And you as children, Remember, we're imagining you as children watched all of this. You grew up watching all of this. And you got to go into the promised land. You got to go into the promised land. Now, you may not have been involved, but as you grew, you saw what God was doing and how he had taken care of them in the wilderness. The clothes that did not decay. The shoes that continued to be worn day by day and didn't wear out. Food, that wats it, that was provided on a daily basis. All of those things were powerful examples of God's blessing and love for his children. As he brought them, eventually, 40 years later, into the promised land. Because of the sins of mankind, all of sin had come short of the glory of God, the priesthood that served God were men. They were of the Aaronic priesthood. They, they were Levites. They were selected by God. They didn't have an inheritance. They were to serve God throughout their generations. And there was a high priest the Kohan, and Aaron was the first one. But Aaron, like all high priests down through ages up to the time that there was no tabernacle, then the temples that were destroyed, had to do one thing. Every time that they came before God. Let's just look at that in Leviticus, the 16th chapter, to understand what the physical high priest had to do. 
This was on the Day of Atonement, but they still had to sacrifice these things on a regular basis because they were physical human beings. God blessed them, called them holy, but still, and Aaron, verse 11, shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. He could not go in before God behind that veil without that sin offering. Every time, time after time, he had to bring a sin offering. Every year, his sons and the descendants continually did that. Thankfully, today, we have a high priest who sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven who does not have to do that. And that's what I want to talk about today. Our high priest is different. We worship at a different tabernacle. We are, as it says in the Bible, the temple of the, the living God. Ours is heavenly. We have a heavenly, eternal priest, Jesus, who is for each and every one of us, who loves us so much that he has a valuable and wonderful office. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, I want to read this again. Matt read it, but I want to read it again. So I want to set the stage for how beautiful this is, how resplendent this is. Sometimes we get, because we're physical human beings, <coughs> pardon me, and because we live in, in a physical society, because we live with all of the trappings of the world that we live in and the buildings and, and everything, and we, we, in, most of us live in the city, it's hard sometimes to really have that depth of feeling and understanding in Hebrews 12 and verse 18. For you are not come to the mount that which was, uh, to, uh, might be touched and that burned with fire, nor the, the blackness and darkness and tempest. And remember, that was the way that it was. It was um, they were not to come near it. Uh, if somebody touched it, they could die. And, and, and then when the trumpet started sounding and God began to talk, they got, they got really, really scared. The, the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the words, which voice they heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. They didn't want to hear God's voice because it really scared them. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But you are come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. Sometimes I think it's important for us, especially in our worship of God, when we come before him and on our knees, and, or when we're just thinking and meditating about him, or when we're reading the, his word and we're sitting there, and, the, and, 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 and we're taking in of, of his way, and the thoughts um, that we imagine what it would be like to see this resplendent, beautiful place. And by the way, resplendent and beautiful are pretty close to synonymous, so that's about, that's a, it means, um, what did I write it down? I've learned a new word recently. <laughs> but you are come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Can you imagine that innumerable company of angels listening in to your prayer, watching you as you study, and maybe also coming sometimes when we're not doing what we should be doing? We ought to think about that. To the general assembly, the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator, of the new covenant and to the blood and sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. We're coming up on the Passover. I know that that's very, very close and, it's, and of course it, uh, it's on our mind. It's uh, that renewal, the continuing renewal. Now the Passover is a memorial service. Once a year we come and we keep the Passover 
Because we're commanded to. We're commanded by Jesus to remember every year. It says in Luke, the uh, 22nd chapter, and I, I might just let you, yeah. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. So when we come to the Passover service, we're coming to remember that sacrifice that Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed, the body that was broken, the humility that he had in washing his disciples' feet, including the one that betrayed him. All of those things, we come together during that time. But you know, Paul painted another picture because he understood something that we, should, we all understand here, that Jesus didn't stay in that grave. De Jesus did not stay in the grave. He was resurrected. He came up out of that grave. And he is alive. And I was so appreciative of the song that we sang today. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, why that is so very important. It is so profound. I, I go back to this so many times, and I know maybe, uh, uh, oh no, he's going to 1 Corinthians 15. But remember, to understand this concept of where he is at and what he is doing today is so profound. The position that Jesus Christ has and what he is doing for you and I 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we can go to God through Jesus Christ. It says in verse uh, 12, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, I'll, I'll say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead. I love the way that Paul brings this out. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then... Our preaching is vain, and your faith is vain. Yea, we're found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. So, if so be, that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you are yet in your sins. See how important that resurrection of Jesus Christ and his position today is to each and every believer who has that faith, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. So if that resurrection didn't happen all, throughout all of this time, from the time that Christ was resurrection, resurrected, there would be no hope. But we have tremendous confidence because he is. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. Because there's something greater Something is being worked out on this earth. On a yearly basis, we, we actually rehearse that, don't we? The Passover, the Days of Unleavened Bread, Pentecost, all the feasts, we rehearse them year after year. And how important it is to understand what God is doing. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. He is alive. Jesus is alive. Of all those things that we are going to talk about today, that is the, one of the first things that we understand, that he is alive and he is at work. In Hebrews 7, verse 21, Hebrews 7, verse 21, and by the way, <laughs> it was interesting as he was reading that, uh, the, the message is... Um, our high priest is, and there is so many things in there that, that there's no way that you can cover all of the, those uh, points. <laughs> I'm only going to hit some of the highlights. I'm only going to be able to hit some of the highlights. Uh, Hebrews 7.21. Here, he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And it's by an oath that he is that. So he is, our, he is a high priest, the right hand of the Father, 
The Lord swore, the last part of this, the Lord swore and will not repent, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And it's out of Psalm 110, 110, verse 4. And it's interesting that word swore, that means solemnly promised that he would be that. In 1 John, the second chapter, in verse 1, Jesus also is... My, ch- my little children, these things write unto you, that you sin not, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You know, that's why as sinners we can go and we can ask God to forgive our sins because he's there. He is our high priest. He's eternal. He's alive. And it's wonderful to know that we can go there. Um, I didn't have these two because they're in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. He's the author and finisher of our faith. It was read, you know, Matt read that earlier. He is the author and finisher of our faith. That's part of his high priest responsibilities, to bring us into the kingdom of God, to bring us as sons and daughters into his kingdom. He wants everyone to succeed. He doesn't want us to fall by the wayside as those that were in the wilderness that rejected God and died in the wilderness and didn't make it into the promised land. He wants every one of us to make it into the kingdom of God. And so he has this position in which he is going to to guide us and lead us into that kingdom. If you allow God, you allow Jesus Christ and God the Father to, to direct your life, to, to guide your life, he will bring you in there. He's also in Hebrews 12, 24, the mediator of the new covenant. The mediator of the new covenant, which he's working out today on this, <laughs> on this earth with you and I and with all uh, of mankind eventually. Let's go back now, let's go to Hebrews, the uh, 7th chapter, and let's read what Paul here in Hebrews has to say about some other things that are a part of, and uh, I'd like to start in, uh, I guess I've got it just right at verse 26. For such a high priest, that's Jesus Christ, Became us. And that word really means, um, verse 26, is proper for us. It's interesting. That high priest is proper for us. He's in the proper place at the proper time, and he's doing a work for us individually. Not, you know, we have a personal Savior. That's what we ask at baptism. Have you accepted your, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, as your personal Savior. So we have a personal Savior who is a high priest. So he also has some characteristics as the high priest. So first of all, he's holy. And we'll read the rest of this. Who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Those are beautiful words. You know, Jesus has attained to such a wonderful position for, for, for us. It's interesting in 1 Peter, the first chapter 15 and 16, if you'll put that one up for me, right? But as he which has called you is holy, so be you holy in all manner of it says conduct, but that really means behavior or conduct. Verse 16, because it is written, be you holy for I am holy. So one of the things that Jesus is is holy. The Father is holy. All the heavenly angels around them are holy. And he expects us to be holy. And it's interesting, and I've always wondered how God has tied this to his dietary laws. Because you find this at the end of Leviticus, the 11th chapter. 
And I got to thinking, as I was meditating on this, I got to thinking, the children of Israel would not have had pigs in their, as they were wandering through the, uh, the Israel. You saw goats and sheep and, and, and cows, cattle, all clean animals. And they were able to eat uh, deer and all clean animals. They were not to have any unclean animals anywhere around them, and they were not to touch them. And so that, it was interesting that that's tied, that's part of being holy. She's harmless. I looked that up, that word up. That's without guile or fraud and free from guilt. Now you would expect that to be of Jesus, but that's what it says. He's harmless. Without guile, no fraud. You can come to Jesus, and he'll tell you the truth. You may not like it. You know, if you go into his word and you begin to read it, he might tell you about yourself. He's not going to lie to you. He's undefiled. Leviticus 21. And that means unsoiled. Let's go back to Leviticus 21 and read a few verses here. Let's see if we can find Leviticus. Oh, oops. One more time. Beginning in verse um, 17. Leviticus 21 and verse 17. Speak to Aaron, saying, Whosoever he be of your seed in your generations that has any blemish, let him not approach to offer the bread of his God. One of the, one of the most important things, they, if, if the um, heir of Aaron had any blemish, he could not serve as the high priest. He could not have any blemish. He had to be completely and totally without, um, and, and we'll see here wh what he's talking about. For whosoever man he be that has a blemish, he shall not approach a blind man or lame, or he that has a flat nose, or anything superfluous, or a man that is broken-footed or broken-handed. It's not that these couldn't be a part of the, of, the, of, you know, the congregation of Israel, that they couldn't be a part and worship God. That wasn't, that wasn't it. But to serve God in the place of the high priest, they had to be without blemish. And that is Jesus Christ. He was perfect in every way, without sin. And so he serves that way, without blemish, crooked or a dwarf, or that has a blemish in his eye, or scurvy or scab, uh, scabbed or his stones broken. No man that has a blemish of the seed of Aaron on the priest shall come near and offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire. He has a blemish. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He shall eat the bread of his God, both of most holy and in the holy, only he shall not go into the veil, nor come near to the altar, because he has a blemish, that he profane not my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord that do sanctify them. So it was very important. And so that, it was interesting that that was one of the, the items that was listed, separate from sinners. Levit while we're here in Leviticus, let's turn to Leviticus 4, separate from sinners. And beginning in verse 3. If the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bullock without blemish to the Lord for sin offering. He shall bring the bullock to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, and shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head and kill the bullock before the Lord. The priest that is anointed shall take of the bullock's blood and bring to the tabernacle of the congregation, and the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle the blood seven times before the Lord, before the veil of the sanctuary. This priest shall 
put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of a sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and should pour all the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar and uh, of the burned offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And I might just stop right there. I, I, think, you, I think you get the point. <laughs> the priest could sin. And so if he did, he would bring an offering, and he would offer it before the, before the Lord. Jesus is separate from sinners, and he gave one sacrifice. He gave one sacrifice, and that was himself. He doesn't have to do that continually. No, it says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that means that when they, and these high priests, they were looked at very closely by God. <laughs> so they probably realized that if I don't, you know, if I'm in this position, I'm in this position, God is liable to, you know, take it out on me if I don't bring a sin offering when I've sinned. So they would do that. And they would, that, was, that was a part of what they um, were responsible for. For bringing those sin offerings before the, the Lord so that they would be forgiven. And he's made higher than the heavens, Psalm 110, verse 1. We all know this one very good. This is a Psalm of David. The Lord said to my Lord, sit you at, the, at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. That's where he's at today. This is the most profound thing. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, and he is our high priest. He is our high priest. We can go to him at any time. Let's go back to Hebrews now as I... Essentially, I wanted this to be a look at Hebrews 7, 8, and 9, and I don't think I'll get all the way through it. Because as we approach before the Passover, I want us to understand how important the position that Jesus has and how important it is that we, on a yearly basis, rehearse those things because they help us to understand the love that God has for us and the plan that he has for all of mankind. Beginning in verse 11 in, in chapter 7, if therefore per perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, these verses explain the different, what, what went on in the wilderness, the temples that were built, and all of those things, and why today Jesus is the high priest in heaven and doing what he's doing. And doing what he's doing for you and I. For under it, the people received the law. What further need was there for another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron. For he whom these things are spoken pertains to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, not the Levites, of which tribe Moses spoke, among, uh, spoke nothing concerning priesthood. Now this is, pro this is quite profound that, that this order of Melchizedek was separate, and he chose it out of the tribe of Judah. There's 12 tribes, so there's the, Levi the, 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 uh, the Levites that became a part of the Levitical priesthood. They didn't have an inheritance. They were to serve God. And Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. So he would be classified as a Jew. But now at this point, he is on the, in the heavens, on high. And is yet far more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there should rise another priest, who was made not after the law of carnal commandment, but after the power of, of an endless life. And so that's what's very important for us to understand, this endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. There's verily a disannulling of the commandment going before, for the weakness and unprofitability in this thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as not without an oath, he was a priest, he was made priest, 
For those priests have made, uh, were made without an oath, but this with an oath, an oath, by him that said to him, The Lord swore and will not repent. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made surety of a better covenant. This is so wonderful and so profound for you and I today, but for all of mankind that has lived upon this earth, because there's going to be a resurrection, and they're going to be a part of that. All of mankind is going to have an opportunity to understand about Jesus Christ, about his priesthood, and about his kingship on this earth. And they truly were many priests because they were not permitted to continue by reason of death. <laughs> That's why he had a succession, Aaron and his sons and the sons that came along, because they were going to die. They were going to get old. They were going to die. But this man, because he continues ever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. So when you go before God and understand that, Jesus Christ is praying for you. We come to the Father and we pray to the Father, but Jesus is also praying to the Father. He is making intercession for us individually before God the Father. That's really, really wonderful understanding of what is written in here. And his work and his love and concern for each and every one of us. For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needs not daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did once, when he offered himself. For the law makes men high priests, which have infirmities, in other words, they're weak. And it's not, not that they have blemishes, but that they're weak because they're physical human beings. Because they grow old and they, and they die. Or they, you know, they need to pass it on to their, to, uh, to their progeny. But the word of the oath, which was since the law, makes the son who is consecrated forevermore forevermore. Tremendous position that he has for you and I. Now, in, verse, in chapter 8, now these things which we have spoken, this is the Son. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the, of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Remember it said, make sure that you are very careful how you build this tabernacle. Because they are a part, they, they're a picture, they're a mirror of what is in heaven. For every high priest is ordained, verse 3, to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore it is of necessity that this man has something also to offer. For he... For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. And so, of course, when this was written, the, 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 the uh, uh, temple was probably still in existence. Levitical priesthood was still in existence, and they were still um, probably giving, uh, doing the sacrifices and all of that. Who served to the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. See, says he, that you make all things according to the pattern showed you in the mount. Exodus 25, verse 40. We read that. But now has he ob obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which is, was established on better promises. And for if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Remember what it said. 
He wants to dwell with his people. He wants to dwell with his people. That's a very important thing for God to do. He wants to dwell with them. So he says, I'm going to make that covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I'm going to bring them together. And he says, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the days that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, that I regarded them not, says the Lord. For as this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. That's very important. He still has a love for Israel, but he has also a love for all of mankind. Remember what it says in John 3.16. God so loved the world, loved everyone that he gave his son. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and to their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. And that he says, A new covenant he has, has made the first old, now that which decays and waxes old is ready to vanish. When Christ returns... There will be changes in this world. And a lot of people aren't going to like the changes that are going to come to this world. But it's for the betterment of all of mankind. It's for the good of all of mankind. That when Christ returns, sets up the kingdom, and we're a part of that. We don't have to defraud people. We don't have to take monies from people. We don't have to, to, to put them into poverty. We can help them. It's going to be a glorious time in the kingdom of God. Verily, that first covenant had also ordinance of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and showbread, which called it the sanctuary. Now, it's interesting. All of these things were of the finest materials. All of it was of the greatest and wonderful, most perfect craftsmanship. And I am... I am sure that this tabernacle would probably be in the, if, if you were to, to price it today with all of the, the beautiful, wonderful things that were in it, it would probably be in the millions or maybe even the billions of dollars worth of, of, of uh, stuff because everything was laid in gold. <laughs> you know what the price of gold is today, $1,300, $1,400 an ounce. Everything was laid in gold. Brasses and silvers and beautiful tapestries and uh, some of the most finest woods that were used in this tabernacle that followed them in the wilderness. After the second veil, the tabernacle was called the holiest of all, that place that the, was covered up, which had the golden censer, the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot speak particularly. That must have been something. That must have been so profound to see that. You know, we can only just kind of guess at what, what I've always, if he did a, if God made a perfect rendition of those angelic beings, which he probably had them do. If we ever find it, we will know <laughs> what they exactly looked like as they covered that mercy seat. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle according to the service of God. Throughout the year, they had a course. That's how they served God. But unto the second, on the Day of Atonement, went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. And you can read that in Leviticus, the 16th chapter, all about how that atonement sacrifice and how that came about. The Holy Spirit, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet manifest, while as that first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure 
for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make man that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which, should, which stood only in meats and drinks and different washings, cardinal, or, cardinal ordinances imposed upon them until the time of, ref, of reformation. But Christ, but Christ being come a high priest of good things to come. It's interesting, if you listen to this, if you listen to this on a tape or a CD, CD, and you listen to the words, there are so many times that it talks about good things, good covenant, better this, better that. It, it just almost just jumps out at you as you're listening to it. I, was, I, had, I had a tape one time, I can't remember, I think it was like um, the NIV, which I'm not real fond of that one, but it was so evident as he was reading how those just jumped right out. And you could hear those better and good. Better covenant, good covenant, beautiful things. Christ has come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Isn't that interesting? That curtain was, was ripped down, and he entered in. He was accepted and entered in and sits as our high priest in heaven. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer sprinkled unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. If we fill our lives with Jesus Christ and with his truth, and we fill our lives with the, the word of God and understand the plan of God, these things become very evident that God is working out some miraculous things to bring about peace on earth and that high priest is there in heaven. And for this cause, he's the mediator of the new. It says testament, but it, it does mean covenant. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, or under the first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. That's an important understanding that we should have. We have the potential for eternal life and eternal inheritance. You know, Paul said, I have, I have fought the good fight. Now I'm going to receive the crown. I'm going to receive a crown. <laughs> that means he's going to have a position of leadership, of rulership in the kingdom of God. And we are going to uh, inherit eternal life. For where... A testament is, there must also necessity of the death of the testator. For the testament is in force after men are dead, otherwise it is no strength at all where the testator lives. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. In other words, when, uh, and this is in Exodus, the, uh, the, uh, in Exodus, and you'll see where at the end, um, Moses actually took the blood and sprinkled it on the, uh, on everything and on the people so that they might be um, a part of this uh, process. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God has enjoined to you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. So he, he, he covered all of that with that blood. And it's interesting, the blood of Christ co covers all of that, doesn't it? And almost all things are by law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. Remember when we also, at baptism, it is for the remission of sins. 
you're baptized for the remission of your sins. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear, appear in the presence of God for us. Not yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters into the holy place every year with blood for, of others, for then he must, he must have often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Whereas at the end, you know, we keep that Passover every year. We were reminded. We were reminded of that sacrifice. We were reminded of what Jesus Christ is doing. Every year, we are renewed in that covenant that he has made. Every year, we can come before God clean again. There's so many things that Christ is doing for us. It says in here now, verse 27, It's appointed to men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was, often, uh, was once offered to bear the sins of many, and to them that look to him shall he appear the second time without sin to salvation for you and I and all of mankind. That's the plan of God. He wants to dwell with us. He wants us to be his children in his kingdom. And he wants to give us an inheritance in the universe. And no telling what else that he's doing and what else that he's got planned. It's in God's great plan to give his children the greatest and one most wonderful benefits. And it's for us to be obedient, to understand his plan, and to live by it until, <laughs> as, uh, you know, in marriage, until death do us part or until Christ returns to this earth.